time traveler Jeffrey. Jeffrey, how is the future or the past? Both are good at the same time. Whoa. It is, it is a flat circle. Ooh, that's a different show. We're not talking about that show this week. <laughs> but some week we will. Some week we'll get back to True Detective. Welcome, friends and listeners, to Show Bros. The other voice you're hearing is Jeff. I am Matt. We are two Forder film students looking at TV shows and movies we love, trying to figure out what makes them work, what's going on underneath the hood. And in this particular series, we're doing kind of a little bit of a, a versus, Jeff. And what do I mean by that? What are we doing versus-wise? We are taking shows that one of us likes and the other traditionally does not and kind of doing a compare and contrast on why. So last week we did Grey's Anatomy, a show that I have liked and Matt has historically not. And at the end of that show, we realized that that was still the case, but Matt had given it a bit of a fair shake Mm -hmm. and understood why some people liked it and why maybe he had not. Yeah, I I think I had a handle on what the appeal was and what the appeal wasn't for me. But that being said, I did go back and watch another couple of episodes, ones that I just had to see. There was an episode with a plane crash that... Yep. Lived up to expectations. And there was Great. an episode with a fairy crash that lived up to expectations. Indeed, indeed. Those were the <laughs> other two I almost picked for us, just so you know. Yes. Those were the other two in the in the in the chamber ready. So I'm Definitely. glad you saw those. But, but I this think week, this is yeah, this is what turn. are we talking about? Yeah, it's my turn to bring a show I, I, I enjoy quite a bit that I know Jeff historically really just can't give you don't care for it that much, man, and that's Doctor Who all the way from 1963 to your streaming media service now. So let's start, Jeff, with why you have historically disliked Doctor Who, and then I'm going to jump in with kind of what Doctor Who means to me and why I care about it so much. This is a topic we've already tread fairly decently on this show, so I'll kind of paraphrase it. But in general, the stylistic choice of editing in British television is something I don't care for. Uh, it's a stylistic choice. It's not a technical thing. They're very well done. Uh, but shows from Doctor Who to Sherlock routinely leave a little more space between dialogue than I prefer. And after a little bit of time, it tends to drive me nuts. So these much larger scale serial television shows like Doctor Who or Sherlock or uh, what's another really great example of a show that you love that's British that I dislike? Luther. Luther. Thank you. I was thinking of the Idris Elba one. Uh, you know, are shows that I just in general can't watch. Uh, for long periods of time or multiple episodes, and so I tend to not do well with the binge-watching of, of these British uh, shows. I can typically do one or two of the shorter sitcom shows, like The Office, like The IT Department, but even then I'm not huge fans of it because it's still the same editing style. Well, and I That's think pretty much with- what turned me off and initially to Doctor Well, Who. I want to dig a little bit deeper into this because I think yeah. part of it, too, is Doctor Who's target audience. Would you say that that's another reason you're not really wild about the show? You know, that's definitely what I used to think. Okay. So uh, before we dive into that, so what do you think yeah. the target audience for Doctor Who is? I mean, I know the target audience in general is uh, like children and teens, right? Like mm-hmm. That's kind of who it's, I'd agree with that. it's aimed yeah. at. It's, it's like a young adult show. But this show was really popular with friends of mine when I was a young adult. And when I was a young adult, I wasn't entirely sure that this was aimed at me then either. So I think part of this is also that I may have just missed it on the timeline as far as when it was popular and and kind of well-known here versus when it was just sneaking into like my friend's zeitgeist in in high school. And I was just sort of aware of the show about time travel that was British on the periphery. Does that Mm -hmm. make sense? It totally makes sense. I I missed the demographic graphic going both directions where i thought I gotcha. it wasn't for me when it was and now that it's not for me 
like I, I think it should be. Yeah, we'll sure. Get, we'll kind of get into that, you know, when I talk about my feelings on the episodes. But sure. that's sort of how I feel about it demographically. Well, I think that's it's a good segue to where I kind of come to the show and really appreciate it. I, I came to it as I think I was 21 when I just started watching it. But you mentioned mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, my friends watched it. And for me, it was, you know, we not only had a, a colleague who watched it, former guest on the show, Justin Crow, whose opinion I value a lot. We had a few other friends who were really, really like crazy into it that I respect. It's like, I got to give it a shake. And I think there is something to like having the momentum of a friend group who loves something that gives yeah. you that like extra push to want to root for it and want to care for it. So I not only had some close friends who really liked it, you know, my partner Kirsten was a pretty big who like super fan at the time too. So I had the momentum of like, I got to watch this to understand what my friends are all hyped up about. And I got to watch it so I can understand what my partner is all hyped up about. So I think sometimes I'm guilty of this and I suspect a lot of our listeners are too. You can like something by sheer force of will if enough people around you <laughs> like it. Um, the yeah. example I think of, which is another something I love, so I'm not picking on it, is American football. If you have that right Sherpa around you or that right environment, we all care so deeply about something so so silly. Grown men throwing around a leather ball, and if they get it in the right spot, everyone loses their minds, right? Like on the surface, that's a ridiculous statement. But if you got that right group of people around you and that right momentum, you can really get caught into it. Not to excuse the other reasons I like this, which I do have a couple more I want to run through before we start talking about these episodes, but I definitely got swept up amongst sort of the fervor of the friends. And for me, something that's different between you and I, Jeff, is I definitely have, you know, less innate knowledge and care for how something's edited and how something's paced. I think for me, and kind of what I care about most in media, it's about world building, it's about storytelling, it's about interesting, dynamic characters. And even this, even though this is a show pointed at kids and young adults, I really do think it is, I think there's a lot of that going on that sort of fills mm-hmm. my cup a little bit when it comes to imagination fuel. I mean, it's the same yeah. reason I really like Star Wars, even though Star Wars is this deeply flawed thing, is it has those rich characters. It has these very lived-in worlds that you can kind of get lost in and go down the rabbit hole on. And in the case of Doctor Who, you have right around 50 years of real-world history for it, not only in the story, but also in the production to dig into, which checks another one of my boxes. It's just really, really rich in regards to history. I've watched all the Doctor Who up until Peter Capaldi. So that's a Doctor I haven't gone to or past. We're going to get back to it. And with that in mind, we just watched the Doctor Who that I was introduced to when I was just getting into it. So we watched an episode with Christopher Eccleston, the ninth Doctor, called The Empty Child. We watched mm-hmm. a David Tennant episode, Girl in the Fireplace, and we watched, I almost said James Corden, we watched a Matt Smith episode <laughs> called The Lodger. British TV's a little funny. It's going to be hard to give you season numbers on this, but The Empty yes. Child, Girl in the Fireplace, and The Lodger are the ones you're looking for. So without further ado, Jeff, let me get my timer started because I, yeah. I want to try and keep us on track here schedule-wise. Thanks for letting us go long on Grey's Anatomy, by the way, everyone. Yeah, of course. I'm trying to save you those minutes here, folks. <laughs> Jeff, talk to me about Christopher Eccleston as the Doctor, The Empty Child. And if I'm not mistaken, this is likely the first episode of Doctor Who you've watched from start to finish. Is that true? That is that is correct. You know, one of the interesting things that I got to experience because of the episodes you picked, and I, I was going to ask why we didn't do a Peter Capaldi, but... 
I, I understand now that we really just did doctors that you're very, very familiar with. What struck me is just how different everything looked and felt immediately from the Doctor Who that I'd seen in like promotional materials, right? I, having not watched the show, am very familiar with Matt Smith as a doctor and Peter Capaldi as a doctor. And I know a little bit about the, uh, the 13th Doctor, which has or hasn't started yet, I'm not really sure. But I, you know, I'm familiar with modern doctors and not somebody who I wouldn't have really been aware of. And so it was really interesting to me to see old school BBC television uh, and to understand the difference in that kind of humor. Uh, I didn't find the first one funny. I didn't really like the first one at all. Um, I, I thought the writing was really uh, interesting and tight and was trying to tell a really compelling story, but I found that I was I was really unable to follow a lot of it. And part of that is also I was coming in mid-season at, what, year 20 or so? something like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm 20 plus years in and I'm starting in media res. So there's a lot of things that I'm trying to play catch up on. Um, and so I ended up watching the, the episode twice because I was super lost for the first one. And what I realized was there was so much inherently understood already by the audience that I just sort of had to be swept away and go along with the ride. I couldn't really ask questions. I just had to watch it as a show. Uh, and try to pick up on some of the context. And what I liked about watching these episodes out of sync and what I liked about that first one is it actually allowed me to do that decently well. So thinking of it as that young adult show, even though I didn't have that context or that world that I think is very important to you, I was able to understand loosely what was going on. I didn't get the subtext. I didn't get a lot of the the kind of secondary things at play. But as far as just a basic science fiction you know, 45 minute short film, I understood the basic understanding and idea of what was happening in the plot. And I actually think that that's harder to do than it sounds like just me talking about it on a podcast. You know, to have it accessible at both levels is a real, a real skill in storytelling that I found myself really uh, responding to and respecting. Nice. I mean, and for this episode, what did it do for you um, emotively, The Last Child? Or The Empty Child, sorry. Yeah, uh, this isn't just The Empty Child. This is all three of them. All three of them had really, really creepy parts and like spooky parts that I was not expecting. There's a really great tonal range to a show that has like very, very well-written British humor and good character acting. And also these moments of jump scares and terror and horror, you know, seconds apart from each other. There's a real command of, of production and writing and the, the performances that are being given are really incredible. We've mentioned a lot of the people who play the doctor, but really the supporting cast is is really impressive in all of these different episodes. You mentioned James Gordon, of course, but you know everybody from uh, Billy Piper who plays uh, Rose, which I understand is not really a secondary character. She's a series regular, but all of these supporting performances shift and change from the straight man on a gag to being the the prankster themselves uh, in setting up these humor structures. And I thought it was really, really well done. The acting is great. Uh, for me with The Empty Child, what I kind of appreciate most about that ep as a standalone is that I do feel it, like it actually works pretty well on its own compared to a lot of Doctor Who, which if you're looking to get into it, definitely takes a little bit of onboarding i mean (laughs) you got to have wikipedia handy to look up some of the terms to really get fully immersed but this episode is really creepy i think it does a great job articulating some of the fear of what it must have been like 
to be in London during the Blitz, during the Second World War, without overtly talking about the World War, if that makes sense. I think it goes without saying that yeah. the, the, the people who are making this, and specifically Stephen Moffat, who wrote it, I mean, he was born in the 60s, but that mm -hmm. means either his parents or the people, you know, the adults he grew up in, likely experienced the Second World War firsthand. And I think you can see some of that reach out into the episode, some of that terror and fear of just this unstoppable specter dropping in in the form of a little child in a gas mask, which is so scary. Like Kirsten yeah, watched it again creepy. and was like, oh, super creepy. Um, so I think it's this kind of unique exercise for them of let's tell a story about how it felt to be in the Blitz, but let's make it veiled with science fiction and let's make it veiled with... Yeah you know, X and Y, which I thought, looking back at it critically, was probably the most interesting thing about this episode for me. Mm -hmm. I definitely Go got ahead. a lot of Cold War vibes as well from just the, the whole understanding and idea. You know, I know it's really talking about the Blitz, but I do think it's infused with this little bit of uh, an understanding of horror from somebody who grew up during times when there were regular nuclear scares. Sure. Uh, I know they weren't massive players in the Cold War, but everybody in the in the world was worried about nuclear holocaust and, and nuclear winners. And so you definitely do see that kind of creep in uh, to the, the understanding and the storyline there, which I thought was kind of cool as well. Uh, last thing before we move on to the girl in the fireplace, Jeff, and I'll give you a chance to make some closing remarks. John Barrowman is a Scottish-American actor who was in The Empty Child as Captain Jack Harkness. He's mm -hmm. just like too charismatic. It's like it's like a little bit too much, right? It's like, whoa, please turn down the handsome, sir. I can't take he it was, right now. <laughs> he was so charismatic that I, I found myself actually Googling to understand and find out if he was in fact like the ultra arch nemesis of Doctor <laughs> Who for like years. No. Right? Yeah. Because, but that's the kind of charisma he yeah. was carrying is this like, yeah, I'm going to sure. show up everywhere you go and I'm always going to, like, people are going to think I'm better than you, but I'm always going to be up to some shit. Sure. It's literally sure. like the read I got for sure. Right on. Well, let's take ourselves out of the first season of Doctor Who, the first modern season, I guess we'll call it the Christopher Eccleston, because that's yeah. one where I think we can agree they were still figuring it out. Given that this episode, it was broadcast in 2005, I think the effects are still pretty good, but at this mm -hmm. point, the show still feels pretty low budget to me when I rewatch it. It still definitely feels a little plucky, like they haven't quite figured out the tone. Um, yep. We're fast forwarding, you know, a year and some change, 2006, with the girl in the fireplace. So now David Tennant is the doctor, Billy Piper's back as Rose. What'd you think about the girl in the fireplace, Jeff? I, I have to start by acknowledging that I think as a Eyes Wide Shut 2, it really should be kind of considered <laughs> as a runway because it's really lovely to watch a, a better looking Tom Cruise kind of stand in, do the right thing. <laughs> sure. I really liked that. I, this is the episode where things start to get buck wild for me. Okay, go ahead. You know, if you if you think about if you think about the first episode I watched, it's it still is dealing with time travel and there's a lot of kind of alien pieces, but this is the first time that I've actually ever seen a robot villain like really be the villain yeah. as the second Doctor Who I've ever watched and that that's where things really started to go. I think kind of off the rails as far as my enjoyment level of the actual show itself. And then, you know, it became this mind puzzle of like trying to figure out if I could find any weirdness in the show's story structure. Sure. Which I couldn't. So one of the things that I really <laughs> liked about this episode is that, it, and I think this is true of Doctor Who in general, and I want to kind of ask you about it. It seems sure. to not leave a lot of plot holes behind because everything sort of explains itself. And they do mm -hmm. a lot of that explanation in the moment. Does yeah. that 
Is that a fair assessment? I think it's pretty fair. To give you my take on it, which may or may not be the right take, I mean, I'm definitely not a diehard Whovian where I can you know, tell you about it all. I can tell you that normally the show gives you a an audience proxy, something we talk a lot about on Show Bros, with the companion, whoever's traveling with the doctor. So in yeah. this episode and in that, the Empty Child episode is Rose, Rose Tyler, played by Billy Piper. And what's great is that Rose, as a character, knows as little as we do in most environments. And the right. doctor, of course, knows everything. So the structure of most episodes is to have, you know, Rose start out with none of the answers and Doctor have all the answers. And by the end, Rose is caught up with what's going on in the fiction of the episode in the universe. And the Doctor has found a way to sort of like reverse his way back to halfway and understanding where Rose is coming from or another human is coming from who doesn't understand. So quite a bit of the time, the show has to be encapsulated. Kind of, we talk about returning to stasis at the end of an episode where a TV show kind of has to make things right or like normal at the end to keep it serialized and keep it running. Doctor Who's no exception. So it really can't leave plot holes. And what's kind of interesting as an exercise, if you are watching Doctor Who, is to see when they do leave plot holes, usually Stephen Moffat and company are leaving them there quite intentionally they will call back to them they will get back to them but the challenge in picking episodes for you jeff was picking ones that aren't just doing that because there are episodes of doctor who that are just setting up you know your next seven or eight moves right on the narrative chessboard and this episode is as close to self-contained as i could find to double back to your question i think they usually sweep everything up tidy it up and then they move on adventure wise and it's it's interesting to me, and this was the the episode of Doctor Who where I really started to compare it to a lot of uh, westernized uh, American like comic book movies. Sure, is is that's that is ultimately like what Doctor Who is doing in its episodes is the same thing Marvel is doing with each installment of its universe, mm-hmm. in in how they're developing continuity and how they're developing like and world building, which is something that you enjoy about the show. There's this like really interesting moment at the very very beginning of this episode where uh the doctor is is speaking to a little french girl we don't know who she is yet and his companion asks him how is she speaking english and without like a second of hesitation he just very like it's just explained that the fireplace that they're talking through translates it and that was (laughs) one of the moments where i realized like okay this is absurd it's supposed to be but also what they're doing is basically telling you the rules as they're learning them and so they're Mm. using that proxy really well in the same way that typically our superheroes in marvel movies get introduced to the bigger concept of the avengers that way like spider-man works as our proxy most recently because he's this kid who's just being introduced to the group so every time something ridiculous happens like a man becomes a very giant man it's just explained to spider-man so anybody can jump into the narrative at any movie and not be too lost on roughly what's going on definitely plenty of subtext they miss they have to go back and rewatch all of that to get it but as far as just enjoying 45 minutes or 90 minutes of plot and action and suspense they're they're constantly able to do that because they're constantly in exposition and in action at the same time by by pulling and contrasting those characters with each other and i thought that this you know david Tennant is very very good at doing that with humor because david Tennant is just really 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 charismatic all three of them are charismatic in unique ways i think i i wouldn't be doing my job right if i didn't say that all three of these men uh, christopher eccleston david Tennant, and matt smith who play the doctor they were all highly accomplished stage actors and television actors before they got to doctor who 
So it's not like they're taking, you know, faces from the crowd and dropping them into this huge role. A lot of them have an inherent, you know, amount of weight or gravitas they bring to it. And I think with each of them, it's kind of fun to see, you know, this really quirky, literally unbelievable character, this immortal time-traveling man. And they kind of take it and make it their own a little bit, which is another thing that appeals to me about this show is the rich characterization of a character who inherently changes every few seasons in regards to who's portraying them is, is delightful to me. Like, I wish, you know, midway through the wire, you could just recast the whole thing and just saw how the chips fell. <laughs> I was thinking about that when, when I was watching it. That's just something that doesn't happen. You know, what, what tends to happen on American TV is they end that character's run by killing it or moving it forward, and then a character comes in that plays the same role in the cast but is, of course, a different actor or actress because that is just a narrative jump that most shows haven't built in, right? Like Doctor Who, it works because it, it's a time-traveling alien that's taking the form of a human. Like, it's built into the premise, right? Whereas, like, Chandra Rhimes can't just bring a different Dr. Yang. <laughs> it doesn't but work she, that way. But she kind of does. She casts a new person she in the ca- same position. But she can't right. literally do but it's it not in Dr. the way that Yang, Dr. Who can. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're just about done with Girl in the Fireplace time, Jeff. Was there anything else that stood out to you about this episode? Very clearly, there's a lot more funding to it. There's a lot... Um, there's a production design is jump. awesome on this one. Really great work on that. One thing that I will say, and I tried to do a little bit of research on this and found middling results. It does seem to me that for all three of these episodes, and actually a fourth that I just sort of spot checked, the audio mix on the Amazon Prime episodes is like 12 decibels too low. Oh no. And kind of muddy. And so I, I want to throw that out there specifically because in my research for this, it looks like you can do some kind of audio setting changes to make it sound a little bit better by changing the surround sound because they're mixed in mm. stereo and they don't ah, have any surround gotcha. built in. But if you're list if you're listening to this and you're like me and you know are just going to give Doctor Who a try, look into that if it sounds if you can't hear anything because that's <laughs> a thing. It's a real I'm thing. I'm Jeff. I'm a fancy surround sound boy. I got to find I'm, custom settings. Me me me. We have the same we have the exact same TV everyone. Like literally the same make model. We bought it at the same place. This joke is fantastic. <laughs> okay, moving on. Saying goodbye to David Tennant. Bye David Tennant. I love you and Jessica Jones. Oh, hello. Hello, Matthew Smith. Hello. Welcome to The Lodger with a very young, slightly more portly James Corden in it. I was hoping, Jeff, that this would be your favorite episode of the three, but I want to hear it from you what your reaction was because I could be totally wrong. No, this was my favorite of the three for sure. Okay. So what do you like about this particular episode of Doctor Who? This is the episode that made me laugh and also freaked me out and had the best for my taste humor. So this was he Matt Smith is my favorite doctor as far as how he takes the role and changes it and how he applies his specific humor and delivery and how they write around that, I guess, because that's not just the men who play the doctors, but also the writing staff and the production. But this was this was the episode that for me hit on all of those emotions and also played with tropes that were my favorite. So we go from like a more historical science fiction to a like a historical fantasy almost in the girl in the mirror and then we we really start to play around with horror tropes 
in a, in a more serious way in this episode of Doctor Who as far as the setup to what is actually going on in that upstairs apartment. And that was what I really enjoyed about it, is it hit mm-hmm. those two things really nicely. So I did like this episode of Doctor Who. Nice. You can take that audio and you can make it your ringtone if you want. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would suspect this will probably be the last episode of Doctor Who you check out. I don't know if there was enough meat on the bones for you to go back and want to see some more episodes. There are there are a few that I might touch, but in general, sure. I, I don't think I'm landing on, on really giving this a a large chunk of my time moving forward. No, that's fair. You you gave it a shot. You know, we've only got so much time with which to enjoy visual stuff. Um, was there anything in the lodger you felt didn't work or you felt you, you wish you'd done just that 5% differently to see a different outcome? I, one of the things that I, I liked, but I, I would have wanted to see, or I, I would have expected to see more of is they really, they bring you right up to the point of those those horror tropes, and then they just sort of leave them there. And I was a little curious sure. about why that is. So one of the things that I might do is is kind of see if in the next couple episodes something kind of emerges for what they're doing. Welcome oh. back, everyone. We just talked about something that Matt didn't remember, but I really loved. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm going to dig through this episode frame by frame and find it, Jeff. The Lodger yeah. for me is is a lot of fun. James Corden does great. Uh, Karen Gillum as the as the companion's amazing. I think what's mm-hmm. interesting that you're not going to get to experience about Doctor Who is through each of those seasons, the show continues to get more and more um, narrative length. So what I mean by that is a lot less of the episodes are monster of the week or theme of the week. You start getting mm-hmm. plot lines. And you start getting plot line callbacks. And eventually multiple seasons collide into a special so I think there's some really interesting stuff happening there, but unfortunately, if you're not having that baseline enthusiasm about Doctor Who, I can almost guarantee you're not going to make it through. So you kind of need that Sherpa or someone to get you there. But if there's a, an episode you as the listener want to watch that is different than these three that'll probably get you into the show, it's Blink. Blink is like the episode everyone talks about. Um, there's also an episode called Family of Blood or The Family of Blood that's excellent and very creepy, Jeff. I think you'd like a whole bunch. But yeah. Check it For out. the most part, I think our little Showbros versus experiment here, it hasn't been a failure. Gave it a shot. You found some things you liked, but I don't think you were convinced about the who on this occasion. I mean, I definitely want to watch it. I want to watch Blink. Yeah. And I, I really do kind of want to see. I might watch a special just to try and understand kind of what that's like. Because I think what this, what this experiment has shown me in Grey's Anatomy and in Doctor Who and in thinking about how these much longer narrative arcs affect you and affect me i think what's at its base is an enthusiasm for its kind of core subject sure yeah right like definitely. you have to buy in very early to doctor who to want to watch a such a massive narrative scale and what you and i are doing is trying to just jump in in the middle and see if there's enough there for us to like go back and rewatch it right like if you had loved Grey's anatomy you would have gone back and started at the beginning and i would have done roughly the same with doctor who to maybe just the modern point but to to buy in and to want something of that magnitude really takes a base interest in like even the like subject matters kind of loose base Right, so you have to have kind of liked a medical drama before to even buy into some of the ridiculousness of Grey's Anatomy, or you have to really enjoy melodramas. Doctor Who is kind of similar. You have to want such a big body of work that plays in fantasy, horror, and sci-fi all at once, and oftentimes in a Monster of the Week format. And if you haven't liked those in the past, or if that really isn't your bag, it doesn't matter how great they are, it's just not going to be for you. 
but like Doctor Who's a really well done show. There's there really is no arguing about it. Definitely. Well, Jeff, I'm going to give you to close us out here. Number one, got to thank Drake Stafford for the use of his song cassettes, courtesy of the Free Music Archive, for playing us in and out. Get at us on Twitter, at Showbros Podcast. Um, We're definitely looking for recommendations for shows coming up uh, Mm -hmm. in case you want us to talk about something you like. You know, we definitely want to give some more shows a try. Um, Also, if you got 30 seconds, drop us a review on iTunes. That'll help us keep making the program and stick with it. Um, But I want to give you a quick two-minute lightning speed round of every question you have about Doctor Who, and you're on the clock. Go. How does it change bodies? Its species regenerates. So at the end of its life cycle, it's sort of like emits a lot of energy and then gets a new a new form okay here's the here's like the biggest question i had and i'd actually like if you're listening and you have an answer that is different than matt's where you just want to echo it get at us <laughs> i'm super curious if there are people that only watch one doctor yes and like there are, i'm just yeah. a doctor who capaldi fan like i don't care about any of the rest of it uh, there are absolutely people out there who have a, a favorite doctor for sure i think everyone has a favorite yeah. there are also people who only that watch certain certain arcs like Kirsten couldn't be bothered really to watch Matt Smith because she loved David Tennant so much. So interesting. Yep, so it's not even that true. interesting. And my final question is: Is Matt Smith your favorite doctor? No, he's not. Um, <laughs> Who's your favorite doctor? He's very good. Um, I have a whole minute to talk about this in the two-minute speed round. Uh, I think. I I like different doctors for different things. I think if we're talking about a 2,000-year-old war-torn person far flung from their home, Christopher Eccleston embodies that really well. I think if you're Mm -hmm. talking about a hero who can't reconcile being a hero, I think David Tennant's amazing to watch. I think if you really like um, tortured old men trying to recapture what it means to be young and adventurous, Matt Smith's excellent too. Um, So I think for all of them, there's, there's a whole lot going on. But, I mean, today... You know, Wednesday, I think David Tennant be my favorite if you were asking me right now. Just so much performance. Thursday, it'll change. It'll definitely change. I haven't seen Capaldi yet. What I've seen, I've liked. It's just, I don't have enough time to answer your question. So that's my answer. Valid and fair. We're going to have to cut around this because this is listening poison.